Hello everyone. You're very welcome to the first of a series of podcasts that we're presenting as part of the City of Derry International Choir Festival 2020. This is the eighth edition of the festival, but things are a little bit different this year, of course, as we go online to welcome friends old and new to Derry, the City of Song. We've put together what we hope is a really interesting and varied festival, comprising concerts, workshops, performances from previous festivals, new compositions, and of course, conversations with some very close friends of the festival, people who share our passion for all things choral. Now, where better to begin than with someone who has been closely associated with the festival for many years? It's a real pleasure to welcome today's guest, Professor of Conducting at NTNU University in the beautiful city of Trondheim in Norway, Ragnar Rasmussen. Ragnar, good to see and hear you. Yeah, likewise, Donald. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure. Now, I seem to remember the two of us having a conversation about the idea of a choir festival and what it might look like long before, in fact, it became a reality in 2013. Do you recall that? Yes, I do. It was very, very nice. And uh, I I love the idea. Um, uh, you are you're ambitious in the way that I like uh, people people to be ambitious because it was on behalf of of everyone in your surroundings and uh, you were inspired by um, ideas that you brought from everywhere from all your friends in the international choral world and you took it home and you made Derry um, the city of song I mean it's all these nice words you know about people singing together uh, how important it is and how it uh, uh, awakes the empathy it's true i know it's it sounds very <laughs> you know it's, it's big words but it's really really true and i love the idea that you wanted to do this very inspirational i remember it well having contributed so much over the years in many different guises as well since 2013 ragnar as an adjudicator as a choir director with Utopian Reality, of course, as a, a director of workshops, conducting workshops in many, many guises and just as a general friend of the festival uh, since our inception 2013. Can you let us know something about your own background and your own inspiration that has led you to uh, this passion that you obviously have for singing and choral music? I, I come from a, a very small uh, town in, in the northern part of Norway, as far northeast as you possibly can get, actually. It's a tiny island outside the end of everything in the, in the north. You can look over to Russia from there, and it's in the Ice Sea, in the Barents Sea. It's a place called Vardø. And it's when I grew up, it was about three, three and a half thousand people there, maybe four it was a fishing village. Now it's less people, sadly, but at that time it was a lot of uh, a lot of cultural activity. It was a vibrant, living society, and and uh, it's called like <laughs> Derry is the city of song, but so is Varda, the not city, the town of of uh, of singing. Uh, my father was the conductor of two community choirs, the female choir and the male choir. The male choir actually started all the way back in 1880-something. 80, 80 it's really, really old. It's a long, long time ago. And uh, so he was conductor for many, many years, uh, both for those two choirs. My mother was singing in the female choir, also my sister and my grandmother. 
And I used to play piano together with these people from, from I was very, very young, you know. I didn't know how to read music, but I was playing. And and the people involved, it, it's like if you're on a party there and you throw a guitar in the air, someone will grab it and play on it. So that's somehow how I remember my childhood. So I have this um, love for the, the the amateur choral singing uh, activity. And I have grown up into what it means in, for a society that is, this is really far north. It's dark six months of the year. The other six months are bright. So we don't have anything in between there somehow. And, uh, but you know, it's the, the social aspect being together, surviving this dark time in the winter, in the Arctic winter, is important. And then this music life and especially the singing has been very, very important. And this I, I always took with me out and still today, even if I'm working on, on many levels, including the professional choirs, I still, I'm still the same, the same boy coming from that environment. Well, I love the references to family and community and the notion of throwing up the guitar in the party and someone grabbing it. It sounds so Irish, Ragnar, to be very honest. It's no wonder that your spirit is so at home here in Derry as well. Um, but as they say here as well, you didn't lick it off the stones. Uh, such a strong family connection to music and participation in singing and the whole community that obviously really fed in to who you are, who you were, and how your passion for singing developed. Yeah, uh, yeah. This and and in a strange way, this little little island up there in the north, it had a uh, you know we had a fortress there, and this goes way way back, like uh, from the in the twelfth century. They see themselves this little town. They see themselves a little bit as a city. They are very uh, urban in the way of thinking. Uh, and that is interesting because when I look at old photos and things like that, the fashion that came up to the to uh, fr from Paris came also all the way up there. Right. They were dancing polonaise and francaise <laughs> and things like that in the fortress. They had they had a mandolin orchestra, and that was Russians. Right. You know, we we that came from the Russian side from mandolin and balalaika. And so, so all this this strange little place had influences from everywhere, and uh, I, I I somehow grew up in, into that. I think so. I was always longing out. It was far away and very close at the same time. So a, a real hotbed of culture and influences from many, many centres beyond. They were outward looking, despite the fortress that was there. Exactly. And, and, and also, even because of this fortress, because up there, uh, also a lot of um, international, you know, it was a lot of fishing, international activity going on, and, uh, but very strong Arctic identity in all this. But then we are used to, we don't think so much north-south. We are thinking east-west instead. 
So the circumpolar idea of the Arctic that we share with other people of the Arctic. Then you have the Inuits of Greenland and Canada and Alaska. And then you have the, the people, the Sami people, where, where I come from. And also you have the Yakuts and the, the Siberian uh, people, you know, uh, in, 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 in Russia, in the Arctic Russia. It's very interesting. And we've, uh, we've heard a lot of those influences coming through in your own performances with Utopian Reality, with your own choirs, and in fact, in your own compositions. So where did that boy from that remote but global location, uh, where did he continue to develop all those musical skills then? When I was... 12, I was actually employed as, as organist in the church in Norden. That was not because I was so talented, but there was there, there were absolute no one else could do that. <laughs> so I, 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 I played in a band and then they need, desperately needed someone to play organ in the church. So I did it. And I was I didn't know how to read music. So I was improvising. Uh, for two years, I was improvising happily uh, funeral marches and uh, things like that, you know, wedding marches and everything. And I uh, had a lot of fun doing that. But then when I came, uh, when I finished uh, the primary school, I started on what we have in Scandinavia. It's called the Folkehøyskole, Folk High School. One year school that is a, a liberal idea of learning that you should somehow develop your, your personality and your soul. You have religious schools but i went to a secular one that has uh, the music subject it's called tuneheim the home of the tones and there there i met people like me for the first time in my life i remember coming in there just standing there listening i was very young i was 16 years old and this is 2000 2200 kilometers south from my home place and then i came there and i came in and i was listening People was they, they were rehearsing, you know, in the rehearsing cells in the basement, in the cellar. And it was fantastic. It was a paradise. Yeah. I never forget this. And until this day, I have been teaching on in institutions like that. And I hear that sound is still the most beautiful sound I can hear. Young people practicing music instruments. So that's that's where it started. And at this place, I was allowed to do everything. I learned how to read things. I learned how to put names on things I already knew something about. And uh, and then from there, I was allowed to develop very freely. And then I came to Trondheim, where I am now. Now I'm a professor at the University of Trondheim, uh, where I once was a student on church music department. And again, my teacher was the Norwegian composer Henning Sommeru, which is now my colleague. And he had he was teaching uh, improvisation, organ improvisation, in a very special way. I remember once he came with a newspaper, a gossip newspaper, almost as a yellow page, uh, you know this? Yes, um, yeah. a, re a red and top. Then, yeah, <laughs> and then he just put that on the stand and said, come on, okay, improvise. Right. Something. <laughs> so, so, so I, I was lucky. I was able to, 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 to be a child, uh, childlike uh, all the way through in my um, development. And that, that shows. I, I, I love the story of moving so far away from home, from that community in which you'd grown up and were nurtured, but then being really excited by the new experience of what you heard in those practice rooms. And it seems to me that that excitement and passion and enthusiasm still inform all your music making today. 
I think well, looking back, I think that it was one good thing. I, I, I never had these big dreams about doing great things or uh, having to perform something, achieve something big. It was always the next goal was always just in front of my the tip of my nose. That's a good thing, I think, because you know then you are into something. You do focus on what you are doing, and um, and you can enjoy it while doing it. Instead of, you know, feeling that I have to climb this mountain and then another mountain and then another one. So for me, it's the circle is somehow a little bit complete now. Then oh, I'm back. The, the, the last year I was a student, I was also teaching. So they gave me an office. And now I'm back after 25, 6, 7 years. I'm back in exactly the same office. And it's a little bit like the idea that one day is connected to the day before in my life and that is a good thing I think not so I didn't have to do this leaps I didn't have this I, I just wanted to do this what I'm doing I'm so privileged I'm very happy about that and that that was exciting because I got so many places I met so many nice people and I got to do so much nice music and uh, I was able to enjoy it along the way and I strongly recommend this to my students. I'm talking about it now because I just, I, I, I met my students earlier today and I was talking about that. Focus on what's in front of you and enjoy it. Enjoy the moment. And then the road is there for you. And it will be your your life journey and not, any, and not anyone else's. You know, it's really interesting listening to you, Ragnar, because you mentioned earlier on about the experience of the annual cycle of the seasons for people living so far north. I read an article recently where it specifically mentioned Tromso, in fact, which suggested that this experience of coping, you know, with the extremes of light and dark helped communities develop a resilience uh, to deal with the difficulties presented by the current pandemic. Do you think there's any truth in that? Yeah, I think so. Because, uh, I mean, when I grew up uh, in the 70s, in the high north, in the summer, we have uh, midnight sun, 24 hours of sun for two months. That sound is behind the clouds. Yeah. But once in a while, once in a while, some glorious, a few glorious days, the, the clouds are just disappeared and they're disappearing and they, they have vanished and the sun is there the midnight sun and then it's like that that you don't sleep uh, so when i was a kid i remember this very clearly that even if it was three o'clock in the morning you couldn't tell the difference between three o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the afternoon the stores were open and kids were running around playing the people were walking and, and talking to each other and it was you know the society was alive and it's something about seizing the moment here because and that is simply because it's so much bad weather and there's so many gray days so when the sun shines nobody nobody sleeps yes <laughs> and there is one more thing to that in the nature up there it is actually true that the summer is very very short and that means that everything has to happen when 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 it's possible to happen 
That means that all the all the, the the birds and the and the foxes and the reindeers and everything they have to do all the things that they have to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have to do it then. It has yeah. to happen. So it's so much energy into that, you know. So so it's just about seizing the moment. It's something that I I I still think that I have with me because people in the south. They are not used to think like that. And they think that I'm a bit strange when I say, oh, it's nice weather. Yeah, we cannot sit in and work. It's nice weather. You know, for me, that is a good enough reason to just then let's go outside. Of course. Let's have a beer. Yeah. You know, so so people don't get it um, in the same way. It's interesting what you say there about experience can be very intense. You have to grab the moment. You have to see the beauty in whatever our surroundings are. Because I know one of your other great passions is photography. And uh, I've always been very impressed with um, your skill as a photographer and some of the beautiful images uh, that you've captured. Um, has that come from your background and from where you grew up as well? Or is that something that just developed separately? First of all, you are exaggerating a lot. I'm, I'm really, this is just a dear hobby and nothing else. And I enjoy it. For me, I think it's helping me if I need some break from the music, and sometimes you do that, you know, it's difficult for me because I also compose music and I work with this all the time and I love music. So, I, but sometimes I, I need to turn off this thing and it's a little bit tricky. So then I think this is nice. You walk out in nature, the camera makes you, only, only keeping it in your hand, you don't need to do anything with it. You just, it just makes you aware of your surroundings and the moment where you are and that is a very good thing for me uh, and then of course you try to compose you have so many uh, common things that that with the music you want to to capture the moment but you also want to capture the the rhythm in the motive and the, the depth of it the balance the colors all these things that is the same for me as a choral conductor so it's it's I don't see any difference, but it is some kind of inner silence and peace, and I can get rested. My brain rests um, in that, and I can go home, and then I can see what I was trying to compose, and I can see that it's rubbish. <laughs> I have to do it over again. You know, it, it, it somehow you start in in in. in do restart the brain yeah a little bit yeah well recently Ragnar you had the uh, wonderful experience of working with the BBC singers how did that go oh that was it was fantastic great people of course uh, even greater musicians I mean they, they were so so professional and so good you know one thing is that they are they you know they you can put whatever in the in front of them and they will just rip it off the page and and sing it but they were also responding very, uh, very well to my way of, of uh, conducting. I felt like that. That was, um, that was, um, yeah, it was great. <laughs> so Ragnar, you didn't start your conducting experience uh, with the BBC singers. You've had many choirs prior to this. Have you particular favourites or particular repertoire that you've conducted in the past? Yeah, oh, well, that's a that's a difficult question. And I should be very careful now, so I don't say anything. But you know, one of the nice things that I think back is is when when we were building things, when we were breaking boundaries and learning new things and doing things that nobody, including ourselves, that nobody thought we could do. But this um, the, uh, the skilled amateur choir, that amateur in the best sense of that word, yes, you know, the one that loves what they are doing, yeah. yes, as some opposite to. 
professionals? I don't know. <laughs> no, maybe not. But uh, I mean, we should all be amateurs all the way. What I enjoy maybe the most is to discover that even when you meet people on such a high level, the, the, the highest level, that, that the BBC singers, that they respond as human beings that are singing together. And for me, when I teach conducting, I am trying to tell from my own experience, you know, tell how I feel, what is important. And there is a difference between showing and being. So a conductor often thinks that ah, I need to show this upbeat, I need to show this and that and all these things. But if you if you try not to focus on showing, but try to be, try to become the music and invite people into your world, that has a lot of very good side effects as well. Because the choir is your mirror, this, we are talking about human beings. They are the instrument. They have the instrument within themselves. Uh, it's fantastic. But that means, for better and for worse, that they will be. They, they are your mirror in terms of your your level of tension. If you have a high breath, the choir have a high breath. If you have um, stressed and a lot of tension in your voice while instructing, you will get this back when they are singing. If you are out of balance, choir is out of balance. Things like that. And most important, if you manage to listen as opposite to hearing. If you hear your choir, then of course, that if your, your ears are working, then you will hear them. But if you are listening to, that is, that is something else. That is something very active that you do. And by listening, if the conductor listens, it spreads out to the choir and it spreads out to the audience and everybody is listening very actively. And that opens up for the joint experience of the moment, right here, right now. That is what music can do. And in this pandemic time where it's so much depression and anxiety, then you have to see that depression comes from trauma and things that has been in the past. Anxiety, you're afraid of something, maybe you don't know what, but it's something in the future. And then what you can do with music is that you can create the moment where where the, the past and the future disappears. It's only the moment. That means also that depression and anxiety disappears. And this moment can be expanded. And we can, we can help a lot of people in this difficult time in this way, to learn how to listen, to learn how to create music together and make that, that moment just expand. And then that's, that, that's, that's the way to heal. And, um, and now we have a lot of young people, especially maybe, but um, I think all people, uh, all, all of us, is affected by the, the situation that we are in. And um, I think that the music and the choral music, especially, has the ability to, to actually help us through these bad times. I know it sounds extremely like big words, but it's true. I could not agree more, Ragnar. And I think those are real words of hope and inspiration to all of us, actually. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about living in the moment and really uh, enjoying whatever situation we find ourselves in and making the most of that. Speaking of enjoying, I happen to know from previous conversations that we've had as well, when you mentioned earlier about playing in a band and so on, would you like to share some of your other interests, musical interests that are outside what might be described as the traditional choral world, because I happen to also know that you have a very prized possession sitting very near you at the moment. I presume you know what I'm referring to. 
Yeah, of course. I, I, I'm the proud owner of the most beautiful Hammond B3 organ. It's a fantastic instrument. It's, and it's also very beautiful. I mean, in all possible ways. So, of course, uh, <laughs> I enjoy a lot now. Um, I'm practicing Hammond organ and I also, you know, then I enjoyed a bit different styles and, uh, and the, the Jimmy Smith tradition, you know, where you play the standards. But I also used to play a lot in band. So for me, I can also play um, the mainstream rock and roll like, um, you know, Springsteen and, uh, and uh, the Eastwood Band and those guys. <laughs> Great. And uh, so I enjoy that really, really a lot. Um, not too many chords. I also play in that Eagles tribute band. Oh dear. Believe it or not. <laughs> You've mentioned composing several times. That's obviously very much part and parcel of who you are, whether it's improvisation from a very young age or in some of your more formal compositions, some of which are miniatures, but some of them are very large scale works as well. Have you a particular preference for how you write or what your subjects might be to inspire your writing, Ragnar? It's like, like you say, it has to come from the, the, that uh, improvisation part. So, no, it's nice. It's, education is nice. I, I played my... Uh, my Bach fugues, you know, and I've been studying this polystyrene counterpoint and that kind of stuff. But when I write, what I do often is that I, I, I put up 16 bars and then I just fill in with the, the structured thirds of whole notes in the bars. And for me, that is like a block of marble, stone, whatever, something be beautiful is inside here. You know, I just have to start the... chipping away. <laughs> yes. And then I, but in order to know what I will take away, because I, it's all about taking away things and then see what's left, what's inside. And then I can walk around, look at it from a different angle. And then in order to make it stick together, then, then comes Bach and the, and the, the handcraft comes, you know, in yeah. handy. <laughs> yeah. this is, this is, it's nice to have. Yeah. But it's always, and then I simply try to silence everything else and, and listen for what, and then write it down. In terms of other composers, is there anybody or any particular style of writing that has really grabbed your imagination or fired you in terms of the direction that you would like to take choral singing? Yeah, okay. I was astonished like everyone else when when you have this, the the Ardelpart uh, soundscape uh, thing, you know, where you could create all these long lines and and that has been developed, you know, people that that is writing a lot of beautiful structures of, of you know uh, Whitaker and and those guys. So I, I I really like that, but for me when I write I I uh, tend to come back to the the old school. To have the inspiration from the old guys, and then and then you know, then you come back to Bach and then Palestrina, Victoria, and Handel, those guys, and then comes to to go back to my my roots, and I am some kind of impressionist. 
right. Okay, but yeah. that means in the, in, 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 in the pure sense of that word. Yes. I, I write down my impressions. So when I write Sami music or music that sounds a bit like that, ethnical, that is a pentatone thing, has a lot in common in one way with the Irish tune. Yes. You know? Yeah. But, but it's still, it's different. It's like fifths on, on top and based on overtones. So for me, the overtone, uh, the, the, the overtones are the musical equivalent to the Northern Light, the Aurora Borealis. I am an ethnical Norwegian, but I had a, I grew up in a world of Sami people and Russian people and Norwegians, of course, and and, and others, and I, I use it. If we leave Norway for a moment and in all your experiences of traveling around the world, are there any influences in particular or any encounters uh, musically or, or culturally that have really struck you? Uh, yeah, and, and I have to, I, I'm ending up always in, uh, in Derry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we... The Vikings, they, they went west to the to, to, so Irish music. It's very strongly connected with us, and I feel, like you said earlier today, uh, that I, I I feel home when I when I visit Derry in all possible ways, you know. And and I'm musically I'm resting in that tradition that I'm surrounded with, and I've been to Ireland many many times, and uh, to Northern Ireland, and in uh, the UK, but also. Newfoundland, you know, yeah. Canada, on the other side, they have the same, the thread goes all the way there. And some places in the United States also, you can find this. And then with all this, um, all the influences that you get from traveling, and then the core ends up with this beautiful pentatone scale. And and for me, the composer that I, that I really feel resonates in me, that has also picked up a lot on this medieval simplicity, uh, it's um, Sir uh, James Macmillan. Yes, you know from Scotland, and I, I have to say that I think he's brilliant. Yeah, and um, I, I uh, would I would agree absolutely. <laughs> and recently, you've performed some Macmillan as well with Utopian Reality. Yeah, we did that now in um, when we now moved to Trondheim, uh, me and my wife. Then we also had a concert in the big cathedral here with uh, Utopian Reality, where I did the different things um, and also. Macmillan's Miserere, which is a beautiful masterpiece. And I've heard um, really nice pairings in, in uh, several concerts now where the Allegri Miserere has been counterpointed with the Macmillan Miserere. It makes for an interesting shared listening experience in the one concert. You know, one, one day we, we should do also that uh, there are more uh, people researching on Allegri's Miserere and the development of that piece. 
once in Derry, when the 16 was there, Harry Christophers and the 16, yeah. they did that. That's right. Uh, and I also have another one. It's a, a brilliant guy from uh, Italy that has made his own version like that and right. his own research on that. Very, very nice. And uh, next time in Derry, we it's, do that. Well, that that sounds like an excuse for another visit, which, of course, you never need, Ragnar. And uh, we as a festival, hopefully in different times when we're all back together in the same space singing together, uh, we'll be welcoming you and indeed Utopian Reality back to the city again. But before we leave Norway and you mentioned Newfoundland earlier on as well, I think that's fascinating because our connection as as an island, the island of Ireland, uh, with Newfoundland is really, really strong. And many people comment who visit Newfoundland or in, indeed those from Newfoundland who come to Ireland comment on the similarity of the coastline, the uh, traditions within the community, particularly the fishing villages that are so strong. And of course, for anybody to join what we call a session, an Irish traditional music session in uh, anywhere in Ireland, and uh, have a similar experience in Newfoundland. So that connection with Norway is yet another, I think, a way of underlining the close connections that we all have as sort of shared cultural experiences. And that is sounds to me like a good excuse to get you and Codetta here <laughs> to Norway, because then you start from Trondheim, like Olaf and his men, King Olaf, and then we go all the way back to Derry and then over to St. John's. In Newfoundland. How about that? That sounds like a wonderful project uh, for our future years. Ragnar, it's been a real pleasure. I have to record here our thanks on behalf of the festival to you uh, for your commitment and dedication to the festival since our very first festival, or as I said earlier, pre-2013. And I really look forward to welcoming you back in person to the festival in future years. Ragnar Rasmussen, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, See, he, 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 he,